Hey friends, editing CC here. I just wanted to drop in and say I am so excited that those of you who are subscribed to Myth and Macabre are checking out our first episode of season one of Boogeyman's Bookshelf here on this channel. It's a virtual horror book club podcast that Jess and I are very excited to bring to you guys. We've been working on it for a while now. I just wanted to let you know, however, after this first episode, we are going to continue on with Boogeyman's Bookshelf on its own channel. This episode is on that channel right now, too. But after this episode, you won't be able to find them here on the Myth and Macabre account. So I just wanted to make sure you all head over there, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And we will be coming out with Boogeyman's Bookshelf episodes every Thursday from now until springtime when we pick back up with Myth and Macabre. So just wanted to let you know so that you don't miss anything. If you're really into it and wondering where the next episode is, it's going to be over on Boogeyman's Bookshelf account. So we hope to see you there. We can't wait to chat with you guys every Thursday about our favorite books and about different themes and tropes that we love in horror novels. We hope that you guys love them just as much as we do. So check out this episode. And if you like it, head over to Boogeyman's Bookshelf, subscribe there, and we will talk to you guys every Thursday. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for our first episode of Boogeyman's Bookshelf, a virtual horror book club podcast. I am your host, Jess. And I'm Cece. And we decided that a great way to start our season would be to discuss a quintessential horror staple, ghosts. When most people think of ghosts, they think of white apparitions from an earlier century or floating sheets with clanking chains. But if there's one thing that modern day horror has taught us, it's that there's a lot of wiggle room when it comes to what defines a ghost. I think my book for this week was more of an updated twist on the traditional ghost trope. The ghosts in my story are far from traditional. So Cece, what ghostly tale did you read this week? For my ghost-themed pick this week, I decided to check out Heart-Shaped Box by Joe Hill, which for anyone not in the know, he's Stephen King's son, and his stories kind of read like it. I have only read one other work by Joe Hill. I read Nosferatu, which I thought wasn't too bad. So I figured I would check out this one. And once I start telling you about this book, I think it's going to be really obvious why I thought it was a perfect fit for Ghost Week. Judas Coyne was a goth rock legend in his prime, kind of Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails-ish. I was going to say Ozzy Osbourne. I think, so they make like a lot of references to Trent Reznor, which is why he was like first in my head. But Ozzy Osbourne, same, same idea. And now that his band has disbanded, he has become a collector of oddities. He has a picture drawn for him by John Wayne Gacy. He has a witch's confession from the 1700s. And he even has famed English occultist Alistair Crowley's childhood chess set. So when his assistant comes across a ghost for sale on the internet, Judas decides he wants it. He buys a ghost. A ghost. Yes. 
Of course, buying a ghost means that he has shipped a haunted item that the ghost is attached to. In this case, it's an old fashioned suit, which just so happens to be exactly Judas's size and arrives in the mail in, you might have guessed it, a heart shaped box. And it doesn't take long before Judas discovers that the suit is, in fact, haunted. Dun, dun, dun. Even Judas's girlfriend, Georgia, named like all of his previous groupie girlfriends for the state that he met them in, which has a bit of an ick factor for it, but ends up becoming more significant to the plot. She begins noticing that things aren't right. So the naming of his girlfriends after the states makes me think about Zombieland, which is less of an ick factor in zombie it definitely felt less icky in zombie land <laughs> this one feels like he's like a rock star who's like too good to remember anybody's names yeah that's which icky. i was like Ugh. <laughs> otherwise i thought that was kind of a cool convention though <laughs> so the plot thickens more when after trying to track down the owner to return the suit now that he's kind of starting to get like having haunting experiences with it he doesn't really want it anymore Judas discovers that this isn't your run-of-the-mill ghost. In fact, the auction that he bought it from, which was kind of like an eBay sort of deal, wasn't a public auction. Instead, it was one that was orchestrated for him to find. The ghost that Judas bought was none other than the father of Florida, one of his former girlfriends who, after they broke up, took her own life. Up until his death, the man blamed Judas for the loss of his daughter, and now, as a ghost, he's out for revenge. The ghost attaches itself to Judas, and from there, the story takes a wild ride. The tale unfolds to reveal tragic backstories, things not being quite as they appear, and a knockdown, drag-out fight to try and rid himself of the angry spirit haunting him while trying to, hopefully, come out on the side of the living. <laughs> I shrugged. For those of you listening, I shrugged and then just shrugged right back at me. Sorry, we forget you can't see us sometimes. (laughs) All in all, I thought the book was an interesting read. Having read another one of Joe Hill's works, I will say that I think he definitely has a style to his stories. And this feels very much in line with the writing style of Nosferatu. It's stylized like a license plate, N-O-S-4-A-2 where the story is primarily based in real life, but has a lot of fantastical elements that turn your expectations on their head. I really love the idea of the main character buying a ghost and having all these kind of haunting links intertwined into his past. That being said, and this is not a dig at the book in any way, but there are a few elements I would say maybe reader beware and that are a bit of your mileage may vary kind of situations. If you are sensitive to some topics, I would definitely check the trigger warnings. This book deals heavily with sexual assault, and there's two storylines that deal with sexual assaults of minors, which, though they are not romanticized in any way, they are very much treated as repulsive things and traumatizing situations. It is still like a prominent storyline in the story that's icky it was and it like was kind of sad because i'm like i think you could have crafted this ghost story in a way that that wasn't part of it but like it's part of both georgia and florida's pasts okay so there are things where like not to give anything away but there are parts of when like georgia is talking to judas and he's talking about florida's past where Georgia can relate because she has had a similar situation and they're a little bit different, but they're both, they're both kind of 
difficult to listen to if that's something you're sensitive to. Mm. And if you're the kind of person who is sensitive to animal death, this might not be a favorite. They didn't just die for shock value, and they were like troopers till the end, best, best puppers ever. But spoiler alert, they don't have a happy ending. No. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt too, if I'm completely <laughs> honest. I was like, but why? Overall, though, I thought it was an interesting enough story. I think, I'm not sure that it makes my top list of horror stories of all time. And there weren't anything where I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen anybody do that in horror before in the story. But it was a creepy read. And honestly, it was a page turner. Like there were a couple of nights where I was like, well, one more chapter. And then I'd get one more chapter. I'm like, mm, one more. For Christmas, I bought my husband like a coin that you can flip that says time for bed or one more chapter. And I was like, this is that situation. I need that. I thought it was great. <laughs> At one point, I will say, so I don't know how much you listen to audiobooks, Jess. Zero. But occasionally, if I'm doing stuff, I'll, if I can find a copy of the audiobook of a book I'm reading, I'll just switch to the audiobook. I'll just, like, pick up where I left off and then move back to the book later on. I can't, like, focus on the audiobook. Oh, I love them when I'm driving. I can't. No. <laughs> but so to kind of speak to the audiobook, the narration of the audiobook, top notch. It was so good. <laughs> The only weird thing about the audiobook was there was these, like, every hour to 90 minutes, there were these, like, weird musical, industrial, Nine Inch Nails kind of sounding, like, musical interludes. And I actually ended up having to Google it because I was like, what is this? Like, this is so <laughs> jarring. What is the sound? And it seems like from what I can find... It's like a holdover from when audiobooks were on CD and it was like the sound that told you it was time to like put in the next CD. So, I mean, makes sense, but I would just assume when I don't hear anything else, I put the next CD in. Yeah, I mean, I, did, I wasn't a big audiobook listener in the days of them being all on CDs. I would have thought when you made it digital, you might have cut them back out. But it's, if you're listening to the audiobook, be aware when the music starts, it ends. It just, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's not like a shift in time or, because at first, the first time I heard it, I thought like, oh, I should go pick back up my ebook copy. Did, did we switch time frames or points of view or, no. No. It's just, just some music to enjoy. But I think overall, I would give this story somewhere in the ballpark of about four out of five stars. I'm not mad that I read it. I think if you're already a Joe Hill fan and you're contemplating reading it, or if you're a Stephen King fan, I think they kind of have some similarities in their writing style, that this would be one to check out. I think if it ever got adapted into a movie, which I read something that movie rights had gotten purchased, but it's kind of in production hell, and it's like maybe never going to get made. Mm. But if it did, I would my butt would be in the seat. I'd want to see what they did with it. <laughs> there were some scenes that I think would make for a really great horror movie. So you know that I love to fan cast I books. do know that. <laughs> Who would you cast as the main characters? So I thought about this a lot because I don't, I don't, oh, when I read, I don't envision like an actor. So like for me, I had to like think about it afterward. Same. But to be I, fair. Okay. I wasn't sure. When You always ask about it. So I was like, oh, maybe you just like think about them in terms of actors. No, I just, I don't know. I always think like, like I have my picture of them while I'm reading the book and then I'm like, who would be able to play that? I love it. So I, I did, I thought about it. I did a lot of thinking about it. I think Christian Bale would make a good Judas. Uh, like kind of washed up rock star who's kind of 
like so Judas like his some of his band members have like died like they were very mm-hmm. much living this like hard rock and roll life and I think he could play a character who's like seen a lot of death in his days and likes kind of spooky stuff and would be the kind of person that would buy a ghost mm. I think somebody like Jennifer Lawrence would make a good Georgia someone who kind of at first glance, you might think, oh, maybe that's kind of a, a ditzy, shallow character. But I think in reality has a lot more going on. Like mm-hmm. Georgia, when you first meet her in the story, Judas is going on about how she's kind of this groupie. She's been around for like nine months. She's kind of, I think she's got a bit of a drug problem, but she's like, okay to hang around. But he doesn't think he's going to keep her around long term. Like nine months is about how long he keeps <laughs> him around. And then as he gets haunted and is, like, trying to rid himself of the ghost, she becomes, like, a lifeline for him. And I think Mm -hmm. she's got a lot more going on, and I think Jennifer Lawrence would be great for a role like that. Yeah, I can see that. And then for the ghost, his name is Craddock McDermott. He's from the South. He's from Georgia. Is he now? Florida. Florida. He's from Florida. I was like, he's from Florida. (laughs) (laughs) He's from Florida. I think that Stephen Lang, the, the older man from Don't Breathe, would be just, like perfection for him that guy just creeps me out in right general. <laughs> it's just in general i think he would be perfect for him so that would be my fan cast if they were to adapt this into a movie i like it so that was my pick for ghost week my my one ghost obviously a ghost story <laughs> you bought a ghost i know that you mentioned your book has multiple ghosts though what did you read so for ghost week i chose to read apartment 16 by adam neville It's told mainly from two points of view through alternating perspectives with each chapter. There are three chapters towards the end that kind of branch out into two additional parties, but we'll get there. Of course we will. (laughs) For those of you that listen to Myth and Macabre, we'll get there is like Jessica's favorite sentiment. And she always will look at me and go, we'll get there. You brought out the Jessica. (laughs) You're upset with me. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) I didn't mean it that way. It's just your name. It's just your name. No, that's fine. But yeah, we'll get there. So the first character that we meet is Seth, a night watchman at Barrington House, which is an upper class set of London apartments. He's an aspiring artist that hasn't created any art since he moved to London. And one night he's completing his rounds of the floors and he hears what he believes to be a desk being dragged across the marble floor in the entryway of apartment 16. That's like such a visceral, like you say that and I'm like, I can like. You know, it's almost like nails on a chalkboard. Like, I can, like, feel it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it was very specific that he heard a desk being dragged on a marble floor in the entryway of apartment 16. Very specific. But, yeah, no, I could hear it, too, and it was like, <laughs> yeah, I like don't know why. Dragging dragging furniture makes me feel like, <laughs> To me, it's just, like, the more realistic version of nails on a chalkboard. Like, I'm like, oh, Yeah. Well, the only problem with this is that apartment 16 has been vacant and sealed for 50 years. Oh, man. And that's 5-0 years at hiring he agreed to never enter apartment 16 it was part of the contract so torn between his contractual obligation to stay out of the apartment and the desire to do his job effectively and investigate seth decides to peek into the apartment through the mail slot i'm not gonna lie i would just be like nope contract says i can't touch that that's apartment 16 problem and this is why we aren't night watch women <laughs> people. watch people, <laughs> watch yeah. people. <laughs> um yeah no i I feel like the only reason I would survive a horror movie is because I'm like, oh, a spooky sound. Well, I'm not going that way. (laughs) (laughs) I will go in the exact opposite direction. Yes, 100%. (laughs) So Seth doesn't see any disturbances when he is peeking through this mail slot, but he does hear like soft screams. 
and he looks around and a door at the end of the hallway creaks open on its own and as it creaks open the screams get louder which is creepy 100 percent so after this whole incident seth starts having strange dreams about a boy in a hooded coat beckoning him and these dreams eventually turn into daytime hallucinations that will eventually lead Seth to pick up the paintbrushes that he's left out to dry, as well as break his contract and enter the forbidden apartment 16. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the second perspective that we get to see is that of April. She is an American woman from New York who's in London to take care of her great aunt's affairs after her passing. Her great aunt Lillian lived in an apartment in Barrington House. Not apartment 16, though, right? Not apartment. I think it was 39, if I remember okay. correctly. Not apartment 16. April had never met her great aunt, and while sorting through Lillian's belongings, April finds a drawer full of journals where her aunt wrote daily about trying to leave but being stuck within a specific radius around Barrington House. Ooh. Which is no. <laughs> <laughs> Just no. So everyone that knew Lillian thought her to be a little bit crazy. So when April starts asking questions, that's all she really gets is a response. It's like, well, Lillian was crazy. That's so frustrating when you're like trying to get to the bottom of something and everyone's like, eh, I don't know. She's crazy, right? Like, yeah, it's fine. It's just, it's all in her head. Anyway, so as April spends more time in her late aunt's apartment, she realizes that there's no reflective surfaces. So she rummages through her aunt's basement storage and finds some mirrors, which she brings back up to the apartment. And that night that she finds the mirrors while she's trying to fall asleep, April sees a figure moving in the mirror. But when she turns to check the room, there's nothing there. That is my second worst nightmare right behind home invasions. Like... I one time watched this like found footage movie in the early 2000s by myself, like alone <laughs> in the dark. And it had like a creepy thing happen in a mirror. And since then, I have never had a mirror in my bedroom. I don't have a mirror in my bedroom either. Yep. No, mm. thank you. Keep the reflective surfaces places that I look in the light. Yeah. I sense. don't want to see them in the dark. <laughs> no, no, no. Because then your eyes start playing tricks on you. And... Oh, seriously. Yep. No, thank you. Nope. I'm good. So as the story progresses, April and Seth's narratives eventually merge together. Their story, along with those of the headporter Stephen, the hooded boy, a handful of Barrington House residents, and a disturbed World War II era artist meet in a climactic scene in the room at the end of the hall from apartment 16. That same one from earlier. Same room. The book has a variety of ghostly creatures, including actual ghosts, haunting paintings, haunting, not haunted, but the haunting paintings have to do with the hauntings haunted things <laughs> that makes any sense okay. to anyone anyway and it also includes demon-like figures hiding in the shadows overall i would say that i enjoyed the book i would rate it like a 4.3 ish out of five because i don't do whole numbers i don't know why i'm like a ballpark like, <laughs> it'll be in the ballpark of four somewhere here plus or minus 0. 0.5 <laughs> It had murder, mystery, supernatural beings influencing the actions of the living, had a little bit of all the creepy factors. I really enjoyed how the writing kind of matched the tone of the book, if that makes any sense. I think it does. Okay. Just for an example, there was one scene where shortly after Seth starts seeing the hooded boy, he goes to the grocery store and everything is like wrong. <laughs> it's, just, it's just wrong. It's not right. He feels like he's losing his mind or possibly dying. 
and the other shoppers are irritating him in an excessive and unnatural type of way. And there was one paragraph during this whole, it was like a whole chapter about this, but there was one paragraph that kind of just like made my skin crawl. And it's not even like that creepy. It's just the way that things were described. So I took it out and I'm going to read it if you guys want to hear it or you can skip forward. Don't skip. It's going to take 15 seconds. I mean, don't skip forward. You don't have to skip forward. I'm it's going to be great. It's going to make you like shrug your shoulders and like, oh. Anyway. So here's the quote about him. People with gray faces and cheeks encrusted with pimple scars scurried and clawed at the plastic baskets and shelves to gather up rubbery mushrooms, gamey fish portions, fatty mints, and expensive imported chilies sealed in jars filled with a murky red embalming fluid. Oh, right. Yeah. So like, it's kind <laughs> of like, like his choice of words is just like, Ugh, yeah, scurrying and clawing and murky embalming fluid. Like, oh, right. It like reminds me of bugs and it's definitely like i see what you're talking about with the tone yes okay so there were also some parts that were a bit like wordy and they kind of dragged on but for the most part i was pushing myself to stay up and read just one more chapter you know like best ones need that coin (laughs) (laughs) i know when your birthday is i know right before yours (laughs) (laughs) it's true <laughs> Everything was pretty well wrapped up in the end. I don't really have any lingering questions regarding like big plot points or anything. There was one point in the book where one of the characters warns another not to look up. I can't really go into more detail without spoiling it, so I'm not going to. But I really would have liked some more description on that because it doesn't really like describe what he's missing by not looking up. Okay. You can kind of like put pieces together and like figure it out, but like I don't know. I just feel like I would have I would have liked some more detail on that understandable i haven't read anything else by adam neville but i did watch the movie the ritual which is based on one of his books and i enjoyed it so i mean i would give you know his books a read i would read him again i've only read one of adam neville's books the ritual is on my list i can't like wait to get to it Mm. but the house of small shadows i think where you were talking about some parts being a little bit wordy and dragged that one the first one of that one was kind of slow too it definitely took a long time kind of setting this very creepy ambiance there's a lot of things with like taxidermied animals and dolls it's very wonderfully creepy (laughs) but the ending was like so worth it like i felt the same way i felt when i was watching the ritual where like not a lot's happening toward the beginning it's just kind of Mm -hmm. conversation and like setting the tone that everything like happens all at once yeah very cool i think now i want to read this one (laughs) I want to read Apartment 16 now. You should. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. So I know you love to fan cast. We mentioned that this is probably going <laughs> to sure be a do. staple in like every episode. <laughs> Who would you cast in your film adaptation of Apartment 16? So I think for Seth, I would cast Adam Driver because in my head, he's like a little awkward, kind of strange. Like I could see him as like himself. a former artist. Yeah. yeah. April, I would probably do Willa Fitzgerald who played young Madeline in the fall of the house of Usher. I like her. I like her too. Um, and a bunch of other things, but that was just like the most recent thing that I saw with her for Steven, who is the head Porter, who I didn't really talk about because he's like a big part of the story, but you don't find out till the end. So talking about it would like be spoilery, but he's still big. So I put him in my casting part. I would pick Harold Perrineau who I don't know if you watch the show from, but it's on my list. I am the slowest person when it comes <laughs> to getting through television shows, but from is on my list. Is he the one in like the trailer? The cop? He's the cop. Yeah. Okay, cool. He's the boy, the cop from, 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 from <laughs> the TV show is called from. Yes. Yes. And then the hooded boy, 
I, I don't know. This one I really struggled with because, like, he's kind of described as, like, a teenager, but you don't really see too much of him. So it's more about, like, his voice than really anything else. Okay. And I don't really know too many, like, super young, like, teenage actors. So I picked Daniel Kaluuya, who was the main character in Get Out. Okay. I think he just had the kind of voice that, like, I imagined. Okay. Um, I could see that. The hooded boy kind of being creepy and, like... I it was like also that. based in London, and he's British, I believe. So, like, he has that accent already. Nice. Yeah. Also, does that mean we're getting old? Because I was like, I don't know any teenage actors. It, it might mean we're getting old. <laughs> I know the ones from Stranger Things, and that's I was going to say, I know, like, Stranger Things. But none of them really, like, had the right kind of thing going on see that. for me. Yeah. Anyway. I think that would be an awesome movie. I would watch that. I think I'm really excited to add Apartment 16 to my to-read list. Heart-shaped boxed. It's hard to say, isn't it? I know. <laughs> Heart-shaped box has been on my reading list. Pretty sure my dad gave me a copy that's like sitting on a shelf somewhere in my house. I think he gave it to me like when it first came out. That makes sense. Um, and I just never got around to reading it. So maybe I'll pick that up someday. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think about it. I know I've also lent you my copy of Nosferatu. I'm like, you should read them both so we can talk about them. Only because they're like, he's got a style. Nosferatu is definitely right next to my bed. Read that one when it's cold out. <laughs> when it's P- cold. Particularly before Christmas. It's perfect for that. Okay. Well, you're not getting it back for a year. I mean, then. Just don't lose it. <laughs> I won't lose it. It'll sit next to my bed for a year. But that one has a lot to do with Christmas. I think you should wait till Christmas to read it. Okay. Well, fiends, I think that wraps up our first episode of Boogeyman's Bookshelf. I'm so excited that you all tuned in to join us. Me too. If you've got a favorite ghost story, we would love to hear about them and add them to our TBRs, our to-be-read lists, so that we can check them out, too, because we love them. You can find us on various social media platforms. We're kind of all over the place, and it would help us immensely if you followed our show on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, it will ensure that you never miss an episode, because why would you want to do that? So join us again next week while Jess and I jump into Cult Week. I think we've got some really great books in store. I'm reading one that gets a lot of talk about being a cult book. I'm very excited. I haven't started mine yet because I'm still waiting for it to come in the mail. (laughs) I'm excited (laughs) to hear about it anyway. As far as like horror tropes go, cults is what I kind of am into. I mean, you're just into cults in general, so. I mean, that's true. I have watched a lot of documentaries on them. But either way, we've definitely got some good books in store for you guys. We cannot wait to chat with you guys next Thursday. We hope to see you there. Boogeyman's Bookshelf, Season 1, Episode 2. Bye.